0: Visit iConnections.io. SoFi, the all-in-one super app for banking, borrowing, and investing. Earn industry-leading APY, get great loan rates, and trade stocks. SoFi, get your money right. Banking products and loans offered by SoFi Bank N.A., NMLS 696891. Brokerage and active investing products offered through SoFi Securities, LLC. Member FINRA SIPC. Welcome, everybody, to the Monday version of the On The Tape podcast. Typically, this is Dan Nathan, Guy Adami, and Elizabeth Young. But today, as you can see, it's EY from SoFi. It's G-Swiz from Parts Unknown. Now, you will notice that Elizabeth is wearing, donning her Green Bay Packers. Is that a long sleeve shirt? Is that what It is. It's like on? a
1: sweatshirt. It's, so it's cool. like a crop, not like a belly shirt, but like a crop top. It's new this year. I had to buy one new article of clothing that aaron Rodgers did not play a part in i like what so, you did it's like an
0: exorcism and listen, just so
1: everybody knows we're recording this during said packer game the score currently is 38 14 that's why i'm wearing this shirt and i am missing the fourth quarter
0: <laughs> to do this <laughs> for this and we,
1: podcast
0: <laughs> and we appreciate that and the packers look good i tell you what their defense looks stout i thought the bears would have handled themselves a little bit better than they have i still like the bears this year but hey you want to get oh. off in the NFL, as you know, Elizabeth, you want to get off to a 1-0, and if not 2-0 start, because those teams that start 0-2, 0-3, the yeah. season gets very long very quickly. So congrats. Yeah. And I'll, I'll say this as well. Congratulations to your Brewers of Milwaukee who came into the Bronx and took two of three mm-hmm. in workmanlike fashion.
1: Yes, they did. Proud of them, too. Look, the other thing is, you think about the beginning of the NFL season, it's it seems like a long season when it starts, and then it just goes by in the blink of an eye. So I'm happy for Jordan Love. I wish that we could just talk about football for this whole podcast, but we won't do that. But you've got a game coming up. Yes, the, we what, do. What do people, they call it the New York Giants, the the New York Football Giants? Is that they, the proper they, way to?
0: They call them the New York Football Giants because there was a time when New York had not only had the New York football Giants, they had the New York baseball Giants. So you had to make that distinction. But the old timers like myself still say the New York football Giants. It's one of those things. At a certain point, like the Burger Meister Burger, it will just wear off and people will forget. But for now, we still say that. With that said, Mm -hmm. I actually think this is a pretty important week for the market. We're in the second week of September. We're starting to see some cracks You're reading articles about the potential downturn. You listen to these shows over the weekend, and people have been talking about, and you've said this as well, but I'd like to get your take. This is when, at least calendar-wise, the lag effect kicks in from those basically 525 points of hikes by the Federal Reserve. I would still say buckle up, because I do think it's going to be not only an interesting week, but an interesting last couple months of the year.
1: If you remember, I I don't know when this was, maybe about a year ago, I read a headline to you guys, to you and Dan. I think it was on a market call program. I read a headline that said something along the lines of Fed engineering a soft landing. At the time, the Fed was led by Ben Bernanke. Don't get triggered, but Ben Bernanke was leading the Fed. And this was in, I believe, 2006, that headline was printed. So my point is, this happens. All the time, right? You, you get into this kind of, okay, we haven't had the recession yet. Everybody thinks it's different. It's taking longer, so it's never going to happen. This time is different. We're going to have a soft landing. Everything's going to be okay. But what I reminded people of in my column last week, and I'll remind them again, is when you look at the averages. Now, of course, nothing ever happens on average, right? We say all the time the average return on the S&P 500 is about 7%. Rare that you get an annual return of, of exactly 7%. But on average the time that it takes post the first hike. So the Fed started hiking in March of 2022. We are about 17 months into that. And then on average, the time after the yield curve inversion is about 14 months when you see, I'll just call it stress. A lot of these are predictors of recession, but I'll just call it stress. We are exactly 17 months in and 14 months into a yield curve inversion. This is the moment when we should be looking around and saying, are there cracks? Is there a crack that could become a bigger crack? I think the answer is yes, but we just don't know what it is yet. There's a lot of chatter about a credit event. I continue to think that credit spreads both in the investment grade and the high yield space are far too tight. And you've got a maturity wall coming up in 2024 that gets even steeper in 2025. So if rates are still this high, that's going to pose a lot of problems for corporates.
0: Let's talk about rates. First of all, you know, I agree with you. And I do think a credit event, I don't want to say there's an inevitability here, but if you look around the spectrum of things, it all seems to be going that way. For the folks listening and or watching, I will point out that what I look at, I don't, I'm not saying you should trade this, but the HYG, the high yield index is something you want to watch. Historically, it really doesn't trade all that much. It's not against like this volatile instrument, but when it does, you typically see violent moves to the downside. And though all the times that we've seen them, there've been some sort of events on the back end. Now it has held this sort of 74 and a half level for months now, really hasn't moved, but that's something you want to watch if you're starting to see some of these cracks. But you know, it's interesting you mentioned yields because we're going to walk in tomorrow and 10-year yields are probably going to be north of 4 and a quarter percent. 2-year yields are going to probably be either side of 5%. So that yield curve is about 74-75 basis points. I still think and I'm curious as to what you think. I still think that 10-year yields are headed higher and I would say meaningfully higher. When I say meaningfully somewhere between four and three quarters and 5% by the end of the year. Personally, I don't think that's particularly good for equities. What are your thoughts on the bond market here?
1: I mean, I don't think that would be good for equities. I don't know that I agree entirely with that because I do still think that if there is a credit event looming, and I think maybe it's worth us just talking about briefly, what are we even talking about by a credit event? Are we talking about a sovereign credit crisis? Are we talking about corporates? I think it's important to maybe define that for the audience. But if a credit event is looming, With the 10 year at these levels, I actually think that the risk of it going lower is probably higher. So we'll see what happens. That doesn't mean that it can't go a little bit higher first. And there's a lot coming up in the next two weeks. Obviously, we have CPI this week. We've got a Fed meeting next week. Here's the thing about the Fed meeting next week that could send the 10 year and the two year in complete tailspin. I'm not sure which direction, but there's I think a 6.8% chance that the market has priced in a hike. What if they hike? What if they surprise us and hike? Yields are going to just, I, I think yields go off the charts in that scenario, especially if everything else still seems to be humming along okay. So there's a lot of risk, I think, in the next 14 days for data that rolls in and for statements to come out. I do think that you're right. If the 10-year goes higher, if it goes higher really at all, and just each week that it stays this high, it's not good for equities. And that's what we've been seeing in the market really for most of August. So that local peak at the end of July was the end of the whole euphoric growth run. And now we've had what I would consider a much more rational reaction to where yields are, where you've got growth selling off and you've seen other things pick up the slack, but maybe not sell off quite as bad. So I think this is a much more rational market for where yields are.
0: So let's dissect what you just said for a second, because it's really interesting. And again, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth or I'm not trying to interpret necessarily, but what you're saying is if there were to be a credit event, which I think and you think as well yields will go lower. And I think what's going to trigger the credit event are yields going higher. Now, I'm not again, mm. I'm not suggesting mm. I'm right, but yes. I think these yields continue to move the way they're moving. I think that's gonna be the trigger for the credit event. And then we can have a conversation as to what happens if in fact that's the order of these things, because you're right, I would submit, if there is some sort of credit event that spooks the market, then you'll see yields snap back lower in this sort of perceived flight to quality i don't think you should agree with me but am i looking at it the right way potentially
1: yes and, and i would absolutely agree with that so if yields creep higher i think maybe the part that i would call into question is do we stay high and creep higher through year end i don't know that we have that much longer i don't know that we'll make it that much longer without some kind of event or some kind of thing that happens and I think because we're all calling for a credit event, we're all looking around the corner for a credit event, watch, it'll be something else like a tsunami or or whatever, something that we completely don't see coming that might cause a credit event, right? But I think the main point of all of this and everybody talking about it is that there's a lot of vulnerability out there for a credit event. And when I think about a credit event, it can be a number of different things. It can start with credit deterioration right? You might see delinquencies pick up. You might see just the amount of lending slow down. You might see if you really dug into who's taking loans out and you look at credit card balances, that's a credit deterioration. Then you have something that could be actual credit events or a buildup that creates an event, you've got a bunch of defaults in a huge portion of the economy. So think back to obviously what happened in 2008, 2009. That's absolutely not what I'm calling for here. But what happened there was people defaulting on mortgages that then bled into all of the securities that were dependent on mortgages, right, which became a credit event. So there's a lot of different things that could happen. I think one of the things that I've wondered to myself, do you remember a company by the name of Countrywide Financial? Mm
0: -hmm. Sure.
1: I've wondered this to myself. We got through March, not unscathed, but we got through it. And there was a pretty clear rally on the other side of that, which is when a lot of bulls started singing, okay, that's it, that was the little hiccup, and now we're gonna be clear. I continue to worry, what if that, what if one of those regionals, pick a name, was the countrywide financial of this particular portion, right? Or even worse, what if it was the Bear Stearns? right? And then we're still waiting for the Lehman. And this is why you can't have this battle cry of victory too early because it's not over yet. Honestly, it's not over until the Fed starts cutting. It's not over until the yield curve gets back to zero and isn't inverted anymore. So we are not out of this at all. And it's hard for me to see us getting out of it or getting to either of those places without something negative that happens in between. Doesn't mean we won't survive it. But I still think something negative is coming.
0: That re-steepening of the yield curve, it's painful to get there. I mean, we may get there, but along the way of getting from now 75 points inversion to flat, a lot of weird things are going to happen along the way. So maybe the end goal is to get back to flat or some sort of steepening yield curve. Getting there is going to be interesting. You you mentioned something else that I want to talk about. Because if the Fed were to cut again next year, one has to ask themselves why. But here we are, and I think you agree with me on this one. We've talked about it. We're in September. I've thought for a while, and we started talking about it in the spring and the summer, that you'd start to see this reacceleration of inflation into the fall, into early next year. Crude oil now at levels we haven't seen in months. Seemingly, a lot of these inflationary inputs pending back higher. You've talked about it. It's hard to use the term comps in terms of inflation but the easy part to get inflation lower we're through it now it starts to get a little more difficult which is one of the reasons you know you talked about a maybe seven percent chance of a hike i think the fed knows that i think they understand that this battle has not been won and we're looking at crude oil at these levels despite the fact that china has been slowing at a precipitous and i'm not asking uh, rate i'm not asking you to play stock market in terms of energy stocks i will I still like it. OIH is at a four-year high. I think XLE is going to trade through 100, which I think would be an all-time high. And I think you're going to continue to see this stealth rally in energy. But what does the move in energy mean, if anything, Elizabeth?
1: I used energy as my final trade on a program called Halftime Report last H-T-R, week. So right? I'm there with you. Look, I think about energy more as a strategist, more as a macro strategist. So I watch oil prices as signals of cyclicality. I watch oil prices as signals of demand and supply imbalances. Obviously, we had some headlines about OPEC. So this is about a supply restriction, this rise in oil prices, regardless before, and I won't even call things a crisis, before you see stress in the market, before a spike in the VIX, before a lot of big pullbacks, before a contraction in the economy, you do usually see a spike in oil prices. So the fact that this is happening at the exact time that we're all sort of looking around the corner again, for something bad to happen. And it's coinciding with what I said before about 14 months into the yield curve inversion, 17 months into this rate hike cycle. I think what it does, I've used this analogy before, maybe not on these programs, but I grew up in Wisconsin, we all know this. Tornadoes, okay? A tornado watch meant that the conditions were present for a tornado to form, but none had been spotted. A tornado warning meant that one had been spotted. What we're experiencing right now if we use instead of a tornado, we're talking about a recession, what we're experiencing right now is more and more ingredients are being added to the equation, more and more conditions are being added, that we are ripe for something, right? It's like, August, the weather is perfect for a tornado to form. And I think that's maybe the biggest risk here. The oil thing does not give me the warm and fuzzies. However, oil stocks, because they've had such a big reversal from last year, they were up, what, 60% last year, and obviously have been poor performers this year, trading very, very cheap, and also continue to be quite shareholder friendly. So as an investor, if you must park money somewhere, I think it's an okay place to look.
0: It's interesting. Last week, into the weekend, G20 nations. So these should theoretically be the largest and most powerful nations in the world. They meet and they met in India this year. That's great. I'm sure it was a lot of fun. Problem, of course, is President Xi from China decided he didn't need to be there. And then I watched President Biden today, press conference in Vietnam, 9.30, 10 a.m. our time on Sunday morning. It was nine o'clock-ish, I think, their time. But it was really interesting some of the comments he made about China. And I think it's going to start getting some play. We need China to be strong. We want China to be strong. We're not going to challenge China. And I'm paraphrasing to a point. But I say that because you have comments out of India. I keep bringing up this China-Taiwan thing. You know, a wounded China becomes a dangerous China in terms of what they could potentially do. And if we've effectively given them the green light to do certain things, and the fact that they don't show up, at this G20 meeting, to me, is a huge slap in the face. And I think there's something amiss here. It comes at a time, obviously. Their teenage unemployment, you're going to hear all about it over the next couple of weeks at record levels. Their economy is clearly slowing. They're doing the best they can to stimulate their economy. Their currency is weakening right before our eyes. Blah, blah, blah. Yet, to me, these are all warning signs of a potential dust up with China, Taiwan, and India is taking notice as well. Thoughts on that, is the market even considering that in terms of pricing that risk in?
1: I, I don't think it is. Have you ever heard the phrase "you left me on red"? Red is an uh, R E A D. So it's uh, what happens no. is you send and a text like message, yeah. and the person who receives the text message has red receipts on. So uh-huh. you see that they read it, but silence, right? Uh-huh. No response. Uh-huh. Oh, in other words, like, like I ultimate- send you a
0: text, like. Hey, what what are you doing tonight? Blah, blah, blah. And I see that yeah. you read it and I get ghosted. Type yeah, of thing. it's like
1: I, I read it at 6.57 p.m. Right. and right. I and not no response crickets. Right. It's crickets. like the ultimate snub. Maybe that's what China did at the G20. He's like yes. the ultimate snub.
0: They left us on red. Not a R-E-A-D. good sign, not a good
1: sign. If, if you're let's say you're dating. Right. And the guy doesn't respond. That's a, OK. It's a no. No response is a response. So I think you're right. Something's probably amiss. I don't know what it is. I'm not going to pretend to understand geopolitical relations in Asia, but it doesn't feel good. And the tension's still running hot after what happened with the iPhone stuff a couple right. of weeks ago, right. after everything else that's going on. And the fact that we all know it's no secret anymore that China's economy is struggling. The currency is struggling. They've been pulling all the stops to support it. And it's still not working. One thing I forgot to say before, and I think China is somewhat related to this, is you mentioned CPI. The trajectory downward had been good for a while because goods inflation came down pretty quickly. And that's the easy part. The services inflation is the stuff that hasn't necessarily come down as quickly. And now we've got this energy thing thrown back in the equation. We get CPI on Wednesday. The expectations are for it to be higher. The last print was 3.2%. These expectations are for 3.6%. Now, I don't know how the market interprets that. Is it, okay, we expected it to be higher. It came in higher, so that's okay. But in absolute terms, it's really not okay, right? No, it's, it's not. We're supposed to be working in the opposite direction. <laughs> so, yeah, listen. So I, this one's a head scratcher.
0: I'm with you. You get PPI, I think, on Thursday, I think. You also get retail sales on Thursday. So you could have a situation where you have this... Reacceleration of inflation in form of the CPI. PPI could come in sort of lackluster, which isn't good, because I've said for a while, I don't think PPI is necessarily an inflation read as much more of an economic read. And then you get retail sales. It's anybody's guess. But I'm telling you, given what you've heard from the Five Below's and the Dollar Gens and Dollar Trees and different retailers, it's hard to believe that it's going to be all that robust which doesn't paint a particularly rosy picture. And I'm glad that you mentioned Apple. I would say for the last two years, and by the way, my concerns have been unfounded. I want to put it out there. But what I've said for a while is if China really wants to escalate things, if they really want to ratchet up the rhetoric, Apple is going to have a huge bullseye on their back. And guess what happened last week? China said, you know what, government workers, you can no longer have your Apple phones with you at work. Now, people say it's not a big deal. Maybe in terms of numbers, it's not a big deal. But the message that it sends to me is a big deal because the next salvo is going to be something greater than that. I was surprised that Apple only went down to about 174. If you had told me that was going to happen a couple of weeks ago, I would have said the stock's going to trade down 15 or 20%. Clearly, that was wrong. But with that said, it doesn't mean it didn't happen. And you know, the rhetoric between US and China continues to ramp. We continue to talk about things, be aggressive, and they're aggressive back with us. This is the worst relationship with the Chinese since the early 1970s or before that. Again, they're an important, you say what you want, frenemy, whatever phrase you want to use. But if things start to heat up again on that front, a 14 and a half VIX is not pricing in that risk at all, Elizabeth.
1: I would agree with that, and I'm going to talk about Apple and NVIDIA, not as recommendations, good or bad, for either stock in particular, but I believe last week was the worst week that both of them had Mm -hmm. in a long time. The reason that matters, number one, Apple, as many of us know, is the biggest weight in the S&P which means it's the biggest weight in a lot of ETFs that a lot of people hold, right? So there's a lot of exposure there. The other piece of it is that Apple and NVIDIA, although obviously very different companies, they've been the sentiment trade. They've been the thing that investors look to say, okay, things are still okay. That one's still hanging in there. Or you hang your hat on the fact that Nvidia's up, whatever it is, triple digits on the year. There's this euphoria about AI, right? It's been a sentiment trade in both of those stocks. And the market keeps tabs on that. The market watches them. It doesn't necessarily always sell off broadly in sympathy, but you're going to see adjacent stocks start to get a little quivery if these two continue to go down just because then you start to wonder, okay, what else am I missing? Or is the stuff that's affecting that one going to affect the other ones that are like it? And then it starts to be this sort of ripple effect. That hasn't necessarily happened yet, but the fact that those two in particular had one of the worst weeks in a long time, I think says a lot about investor psyche right now.
0: Go no further than C3AI, which I think was a $32 stock or so. I think I want to say it was when, Tuesday or Wednesday of last week. It traded down to half, 26. Again, you say not a big deal. It's not a big deal because I'm not saying you should be trading the stock. The commentary though that they gave is a big deal in terms of AI and in terms of taking some of the, I don't know, euphoria sort of excitement, the wind out of the sails. Now, I think that's one of the reasons NVIDIA fell as well. So you got to keep your eyes on that as well. With CME Group's micro-sized futures and options, you can access the same transparency and liquidity of the benchmark contracts with less upfront financial commitment. Diversify your portfolio and manage your exposure with the flexibility of CME Group microcontracts in crypto, metals, FX, energy, and equity indices. Learn more about what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com micros. iConnections is the world's largest capital introduction platform in the alternative investment industry iConnections' membership-only platform brings together the asset management community, providing allocators and managers with the opportunity to connect both physically and virtually. With an impressive network of over 4,000 allocators and 900 managers, their community oversees an astounding $48 trillion and $16 trillion in assets, respectively. iConnections is also the driving force behind the alternative investment industry's most renowned in-person events. We invite you to join iConnections at their upcoming event, Salt iConnections in New York, taking place on May 20th through the 21st at the Glass House in New York City. This two-day event is packed with one-on-one cap intro meetings and content. To explore more about iConnections events and gain access to their members-only platform, visit iConnections.io. SoFi, the all-in-one super app for banking, borrowing, and investing. Earn industry-leading APY, get great loan rates, and trade stocks. SoFi, get your money right. Banking products and loans offered by SoFi Bank N.A., NMLS 696891. Brokerage and active investing products offered through SoFi Securities, LLC. Member FINRA SIPC. thing i want to talk about quickly is the u.s dollar which you know a strengthening dollar historically is a bit of a wrecking ball for multinationals and i've pointed to the strength of the dollar against the yen as a huge concern in terms of what's going on in japan but back that out for a second and again a strengthening dollar people would say that's a good thing not necessarily.
1: Usually not a good thing for multinationals, right? And I think we've talked about this before. It was weird when the dollar was weakening, you would have thought it would have been a tailwind for multinationals. It didn't really work that way either. So we'll see how that shakes out in earnings over the next couple quarters. But the strengthening dollar thing, I think, has a lot more to do with the fact that our yields have risen quite mm-hmm. a bit over right. the last month and capital around the world is looking for a place to go. As we know, currency trades are always in relation to something else. It's not, I know we talk about the Dixie all the time. We talk About the dxy so it seems like it's just this straightforward the dollar is worth blah 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 right but it's always in relation to something else and what's happened around the globe if you make a chart of all the other major currencies all down because if you compare them to the dollar they look pretty bad compared to the dollar what that tells me is that this monetary policy around the globe all monetary policy makers around the globe number one have stopped moving in unison right? And that creates volatility, particularly in currencies. Number two, you've got a stronger dollar and commodities that are mostly priced in dollars, which have just become more expensive to the rest of the globe. Again, if people want to buy a certain commodity, they have to convert to dollars first. So you've got inflation that continues to be a problem around the world. And the strengthening dollar, I think, probably gives U.S. investors comfort that, okay, our currency is strong, everything is still okay here, but you don't want it to get too high because it starts to block us off from other things. It blocks us off from opportunities around the world. And then you've got a GDP drag if exports start to come down. So there's a lot going on there. And the currency volatility, remember back, I don't know what year, name a year in the last five, where crypto was supposed to be the Mm -hmm. solution to currency volatility. Guess what has become one of the stronger things that I think people are seeing as the solution gold. And there's an indication there too, right? You have to think about what are the fear gauges in markets. The dollar is usually one gold is another, both of those up right now, not a great setup.
0: Job market. The Fed was begging for inflation, thinking that they could control it once they got it. Clearly, they could not do that. And I think if you were to ask them collectively, I think they want unemployment in this country somewhere between probably four and a half and five percent, because that would suggest that their job, what they've done is working. Things are cooling, blah, blah, blah. Of course, they'd never admit that. Of course, the fallacy in thinking that they can control inflation, they couldn't. The same way they're not going to be able to control the employment picture. In March of 2022, I think there were 12 million or so job openings. So I think there was two job openings-ish for every person looking. That number is now down to about eight and a half million, maybe 8.8 million. Clearly, that's coming back down, which I think a lot of people would say, this is your soft landing. We're getting it. I'm looking at it and saying, this is a deteriorating job market. You know, It might be great for what the Fed's trying to do, but it's clearly not a good thing for the economy. And the fact that people say bad news is good news at this point is mind boggling to me.
1: There used to be two jobs open per unemployed person. Now there's one and a half jobs open per unemployed person. That's still above the long-term average, still above where we were pre-pandemic and all of that, but it's come down a lot. And a lot of times the way that you can see this, you look at a chart of it, that line spikes up and then has fallen off. Now, I think the Fed, can control the labor market in the sense of they're going to get what they want, right? The same way that they're going to get what they want with inflation, inflation came down. It's just that the shrapnel and the unintended effects of that, or on the contrary, The inability to stop it from falling, right? The inability to stop inflation from coming down because demand gets destroyed. This job opening piece, what if there's an inability to stop the job openings from going away, which then very quickly becomes job cuts, right? First, companies cut the hiring, then they cut the actual jobs. Now, right now, obviously, they're cutting the hiring. I would venture to guess that probably happens towards the end of every year. I think a lot of companies just freeze and pause. But This one feels a little bit different because it came down so quickly. Again, it's not impossible. They might pull it off, right? We may end up being wrong about this, but, A lot of the indicators and the things that we would watch for instead of just initial jobless claims, continuing claims, when you look at that JOLTS number and you look at the trajectory of it and you look at the number of jobs open per person, that is usually a precursor and it's something that we have to pay attention to.
0: Before we get out of here, one of the things that I'm looking at, and I'm saying today because people listen to this on Monday. So after the bell on Monday, you're going to hear from Oracle. I mentioned that quickly, Elizabeth, because old tech very quietly, when I say old tech, specifically Oracle, Cisco, even Intel, and then I throw an IBM in there, they've all actually started to do very well, very quietly. And I think part of the reason is as people are trying to get out of or looking to get out of these high valuation, high growth names, they're looking for a place where they actually can make a feasible and compelling case of valuation. And all four of those names that I just mentioned, check that box. So Oracle today after the bell, I think is going to be really interesting. And the other thing today, if you're listening to this or watching, is September 11th. And it's remarkable that now we're 22 years after the fact. I know you can speak to this. It, In so many ways, it feels like yesterday. Our youngest son was born Friday, September 7th on a Friday. That September 11th was a beautiful Tuesday. I happened to be home because I planned on taking that week off to help with now our three kids all under two and a half years old. And it's just an amazing how quickly that time gone by. So 22 years in the blink of an eye, but obviously a solemn day here, especially if you work in our line of work, because chances are, you don't only knew one or two people, you knew a few people. So I just want, obviously there's the saying never, I don't think anybody can ever forget that day. So I just wanted to put that out there as well.
1: Yep. You never forget. And every time it happens, I'll say as living in New York City, I've been there eight years now. I go down, you see the spotlights, you see the grounds. I walk past the Freedom Tower almost every day that I'm in the city. So you would think that it wears off and it becomes less effective. It it doesn't. I still cry every time. Everybody remembers where they were when it happened. I was a college student. I was watching the Today Show In my bedroom getting ready for class and it was something that i will never ever forget that feeling that you'll never forget classes were canceled we were all crowded around the student union watching on tvs what was happening and a terrifying day and now one that we can look back on uh, and be glad that it's in history but obviously still honor it properly every single year
0: world changed that day without question so yeah it's just amazing Again, 22 years in the blink of an eye. Lives were changed. It's important to point it out, and obviously, the they do a wonderful job honoring everyone. New York Stock Exchange, all through Lower Manhattan, you'll see the different things. So I just wanted to bring that up. So Elizabeth, listen. Thank you for doing this on a Sunday night and a night where your Packers emerged victorious. Good way to start the season. That happens to be on a day where I think, if I'm not mistaken. Your Vikings lost, so the team that you sort of oh. going to be vying with, they fell, I think, to Tampa Bay. That's that's going to knock a that's lot of people great. out of the knockout pools.
1: That, that means Obviously, the Vikings and the Bears lost on the same day. And, and the Bears I'm lost on dancer. the same
0: day. So you're uh-huh. a happy girl, as you should yep. be. Today at noon, Dan and I will be live at the Sirius XM Studios on 6th Avenue, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. The number to call in, 844-942-7866. Call for a robust conversation. Elizabeth, thank you. Thank you to our viewers and listeners, and we'll see you later. Later. Thanks again to our presenting sponsors, CME Group, iConnections, FactSet, and SoFi.